Wow. Thank you, Brandon, for leading us into the throne room. Amen. Man, I got God bumps. You know, in church, they're not goosebumps, they're God bumps. <laughs> I, I want to thank you for last week and for the, all those handwritten and typed out cards. Uh, I want you to know I read every single one of them. And not only read them, but I kept them. And I, I put them in my file. I have a file that uh, I call it when I'm, dis- when I'm discouraged file. And uh, you heard about the preacher ask his wife one day. He thought he was waxing eloquently. He asked his wife one day, he said, Honey, how many really great preachers do you think there are in our denomination? She said, Probably one less than you think. <laughs> well, in times like that, you go to your file and pull out your, pull out your encouraging notes that you've been over the years and, and they help, help you. Okay, well, I had a funeral in here yesterday at 11 o'clock. And all day yesterday was Sunday to me. I'm surprised I got up and came here this morning. I mean, I, on the way home, I mean, you know, the church is 11 o'clock, the service is 11 o'clock, and I drive by churches, and I'd say, I wonder why they're not having church today. You know, it's Sunday. And so I got home, and I was talking to some of my friends on uh, phone, and I said, well, uh, let's, let's have, you know, do something Monday, and tomorrow, actually. And he said, well, tomorrow's not uh, Monday, Sunday. And I, I finally... Through repetition, kept telling myself, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. So, I made it this morning. Okay. We have probably heard over the years the saying, there's only two certainties in life. And that is, uh, let me get my scriptures out here. I got them all typed up. Uh, The only two certainties in life are death and taxes. I don't know if that's true or not, because I think there's people that have figured out a way to, to get around the taxes, especially people that preach on TV. But anyway, uh, I'm serious. There's just a whole lot of ways. to. to uh, let me give you one. A, a person can take his car and go pick up two or three people on Sunday morning, bring them to his house, have a Bible study, and take them home. And then he declares his house as his church, tax-exempt, he clears his car as his church bus, and that's tax exempt. And that's cheating, and by humble but accurate opinion. But, but anyway, I won't go into that. But, uh, but I want to add another one. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm awake. <laughs> I mean, I, I dream once I was preaching, and I woke up, and I actually was, and it was kind of scary. <laughs> but uh, I think I heard a rooster this morning. <laughs> That's okay. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Okay. One thing we know is certain, that's death, right? None of us are going to get out of this life alive unless Jesus comes back. And I'm not sure about taxes, But I'm going to tell you another one that I'm absolutely sure about, and you can write it down in your journal. You can get up in the morning, and you can look in the mirror, and you can say this, God is going to test my faith. God is going to test my faith. Perhaps no one's faith was ever tested to the degree that Job's was. 
I mean, Job didn't lose some things. Job lost everything except a nagging wife. I mean, when you tell him, when you tell your husband to curse God and die, that is a nagging wife, isn't it? But he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his uh, income. He, he lost his uh, health. But but listen to what listen to what he said in the in the seventh uh, chapter, in verse eighteen. He said, "What is man that you magnify him, and that you can, you're even concerned about him?" You know, David said the same thing. Who is man that you're mindful of him? That you examine him every morning and try him every moment. Now listen to what Job said. Job said that you, you, you try him every moment. You examine him and you try him every moment. Now, why does he do that? Well, Paul tells us in James, or not Paul, but James tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 2. Listen to what he says. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. That means mature. So that you may, be you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Why does God test our faith? And he will do that. He tells us that in Scripture. Because he wants us to know how genuine our faith actually is. He wants to prepare us for the time when we need our faith and our faith is going to work when we need it. And you don't know that until you test it. When I found out that my wife and I were going to have our first child, and we got closer to that date that, uh, he, that uh, he was going to be born, we, we were pastoring a little country church. I'm going to ask you if you know where this town is. If you know this town, you know Texas geography. Anybody know where Bailey is? I didn't. You know where Bailey is? Real close to Bonham, right? Does he really? Well, there's 176 people that live there. <laughs> and I'm not sure that they're all people, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, isn't it? But, well, our, our doctor in our hospital was in Sherman. That was 45-minute drive from, from Bailey. So when we got really close to that new time, I would go out periodically, and I'd turn the car on. I'd check to make sure the battery was strong. I'd make sure the car was full of gas and I think if I remember, I even backed the car in the driveway a few times so that I could make a quick getaway. What was I doing? I was preparing for that time when I, when I would need to go. And sure enough, one Sunday night after church, about an hour after church, she said, it's time to go. Man, we hit it. We went over there. Well, she didn't have the baby until 10 o'clock the next morning. But I was ready to go. Uh, so we, we've seen already in our study how, how important faith is. Uh, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. If you're saved, you're just. You're, you're justified, just as if you'd never sinned. Why? Because Jesus took your sin with him to the cross. Uh, it also says it's, it's impossible to please God without faith. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was talking to a man who was blind. And Jesus asked him this question. He said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, he said, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can heal your eyes? And the man said, yes. And now listen to what Jesus said. He said, be it unto thee according to your faith. Now what does that mean? That means we have a choice. 
We do. We have a choice as to how God blesses us. And what is that choice? He said, it is according to our, our faith. Now, faith is not like muscles, but it can be compared to your muscles. If you've ever had a broken arm or a broken leg and your leg's in a cast for a while, when you get that leg or that arm out of that cast, it's what? It's weak, isn't it? Why? Because you've not exercised those muscles. And faith can be that way. If we don't ever exercise it, if it's, if it's never tested, then we don't know if it's strong or not. And we're going to need it someday. I promise you, we're going to need it someday. Well, guess what? Every day we have building opportunities to build our faith. The problem is sometimes when they come, we don't know that what they are. And so we miss the blessing. But, but every day God gives us little tests to, to, to build our faith. And, and I want to talk about, there are probably hundreds of them, but I want to talk about four today that I think are the most prominent tests that God gives us. And, and number one, he tests our faith through difficulties. Now, difficulties may come in the way in the form of, of trials or problems or, or pressures or circumstances. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, In this you are greatly rejoiced, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been depressed by various trials, so that... Now, when you read a, hear a so that in the Bible, that's a statement of purpose. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you've discovered by now that we live in a broken world. And believe me, it's getting more broken every day. It just seems like I've said before, Satan's pulled out all the stops, and the Satan in this world is just accelerating in its own symbols. But we need to understand something. If we're Christians... Satan can't touch us without God's permission. We, we saw that in the book of Job. And there's, a, there's an expression I like to use, and, and that is our lives are father-filtered. Nothing can happen to us that's not filtered through the Father. So when those trials and tribulations come our way, and Peter said they are going to come our way, those disappointments are going to come our way, just think of it as fact. God's permitting this for a reason. And maybe he's testing my faith. He's testing your faith because he loves you. I, th I think of Jonah. You know the real miracle of Jonah? He went home after he'd been in a whale or a big fish, three days and three nights. He went home and told his wife where he had been, and she believed him. Now, that is a miracle. Can you imagine him just walking in there all slimy and filthy and where you been? All oh, been inside a fish. Well, sit down. Your supper's getting cold. Let's get back to the spiritual part of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was given a test. Uh, Jonah, I want you to go preach those Ninevites. I, I love them, and I want them to hear the message of salvation. And so, but he didn't like them. So he turned with the other direction. And of course, you know what happened to him. But listen to what he himself said in Jonah chapter two and verse seven. When I lost all I, ha I once had, again, I turned my thoughts to God. God tested him, and in the process of that test, what did he do? He turned his thoughts toward God. That's what we have to learn to do. During those tests, we have to learn to turn our thoughts toward God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, uh, 
but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Someone asked an old uh, silversmith one day, he said, how do you know when you have refined that silver long enough? He said, when I can see my reflection in it. How does God know when he's tested us enough, when he can see his reflection in our lives? So we're going to, how are we going to respond when the tests come? And they are going to come. The Bible says we're to do what? We're to consider it all joy. That's what James said. Consider it all joy. I love for, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says there's no trial. The word, by the way, the word trial and the word temptation are the same word in the Greek. So context only tells us whether it's a trial or temptation. King James tra- translates it temptation. I believe it should be translated trial. So it goes like this. No trial will overtake us, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. And will with that trial make not a way of escape, but the way of escape. It's like God has a tailor-made way for us to go through it. Now, the Bible does not say we have to be thankful for every situation, but it says we're to be thankful in every situation. For example, when the service is over and I go out to get my Equinox, and if I have a flat tire, I'm not going to say, praise God, I have a flat tire. I'm supposed to rejoice in everything. Praise God, I've got to fly. No, I'm not going to say that. And if I say that, you better take me to the emergency room because I don't mean it. But I could say this, praise God, I have a car to have a flat on. Praise God, I have a spare tire. Praise God, there's a deacon in this church that's going to change this flat <laughs> for me. See, now, that's being thankful in a situation. Not for a situation. So, what do we do in difficult situations? We rejoice. We rejoice because we know that God's testing us because He loves us, and God's going to see us through it. The second way I think that God tests us is what we call demands. Some people would call them commands, but I prefer to call them demands. And someone has read the New Testament and counted the number of demands there are in the New Testament. Guess what? There are over a thousand. Let's look at some of those demands. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank Him when He meets them. Don't worry about anything. My grandmother was a warrior. She, her name, we called her Mimi. She'd stick her hand up here in her finger, and she'd start twisting her hair. I'd say, Mimi, what are you doing? I'm just worrying about whether or not to start worrying about your mother. I said, wait a minute. You're worrying about whether or not you ought to start worrying But what does the Bible say? It says don't do it. Why don't do it? Because it won't help. Jesus said you can worry all you want to, but guess what? It's not going to add one inch to your height if you worry. When I talk about worry, and I do have sermons I preach on worry, I tell people there are two things you should never, ever worry about. Okay? Number one, things you can change. Change them. If you're laying in bed worrying about whether or not you lock the back door, quit doing it. Get up and go check it. See? The second thing is don't worry about things you can't change. Because guess what? All the worry in the world is not going to change it. And the third thing it'll do, now listen carefully, this is the biggie. It will cancel your faith. Did you hear that? 
Worry will cancel your faith. You cannot worry and have faith at the same time. James says, he that cometh to me must, must believe. And it, it goes on to say that the person who's, who doubts, who, who worries, is like a, like a wave on a sea, just kind of tossed to and fro here and there. And he should not expect to receive anything from God. So if you're going to worry, just forget about your faith because you just turned your faith off. No, that's why the Bible says don't worry about anything. Pray about everything and tell God your needs. What about this? Do good to your enemies. Who are your enemies? Have you ever had people that just tried to hurt you? Say bad things about you? What are we supposed to do with those people? Supposed to bless them. I mean, I've been in churches over the years where I've had people come in. I, one time I had two men come in my church, and they, they said, if you really love this church, you'll resign. That's what they told me. I didn't do anything wrong. Here's what I did wrong. I baptized 250 people the first two years I was pastor there. We went from a Sunday school attendance of 450 to 850. And here's what they said to me. We don't want these people in the church that you brought in this church. They're not like us. I said, praise God, they're not like you. You know what happens to some people when they come to church? A religious spirit gets on them. But I love new converts because they hadn't been saved long enough, that old religious spirit, mean spirit to get on them. But that's why they wanted me to resign. They didn't want the people in the church that I'd brought in there because they weren't like them. It's hard to love them. But the Bible says, love your enemies. What about this one? Forgive others. Getting easier, isn't it? Is it hard to forgive? Humanly, it's humanly impossible to forgive. Forgiveness is divine. Remember what the Bible says? God works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So we have to submit our will to him. We have to turn our will over to him and say, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to forgive this person. But I know you want me to, and I want to do your will. So, Lord, give me the grace, give me the strength, and I will forgive this person. What about this one? Be thankful in everything. We've already kind of touched on that. I'd say, God, are you kidding? Be thankful in everything? No, I'm not kidding. You know why? Because it proves we believe, proves we trust him. It also says we're to confess our faults one to another, pray for one another, that we might be healed. Now, I don't think this means every time you get in your Sunday school class, you start telling all the faults you've done that week. But I think it's important for us to have accountability people. People in our life we can go to and they can hold us accountable. And we can, we can confess to them, hey, I'm having a real struggle in this area right here. And I want you to pray for me. Now, there are many other examples of this. But uh, he asked us to, uh, to, to do it. And we do it. I think of Abraham. You know, God came to Abraham one day. Abraham was 75 years old. You know, when you're 75, you want to start slowing down. You don't want to start speeding up. Well, he said to Abraham, Abraham, I've got something I want you to do for me. And if you'll do it, I'll, I'll, I'll make you the father of many, many. Uh, I'll bless you. You'll be the father of many nations. Your, your descendants will be more than the sand of the sea. What do you want me to do? I want you to go somewhere. Where am I going? I'll tell you. How am I going to know how to get there? I'll show you. How am I going to know when I get there? I'll show you. And what did the Bible say he did? The Bible says that he obeyed God, and God blessed him, and we're being blessed today because of Abraham's obedience. 
What about poor old Noah? Noah. God came to Noah one day and said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. He said, God, what's a boat? Well, it's a, it's a big ship. Well, what's a ship? See, he grew up in the desert. He, the Bible indicates he'd never seen rain. Rain came up from the ground. They didn't have rain. He said, well, it's going to protect you when the flood comes. Well, what flood? What's a flood? He didn't know. And you know how long it took him to build the ark? A hundred years. Can you imagine the ridicule that he received during those times? People would walk by and laugh at him and say, what are you building? I'm building a ship. What for? Obedience to God. The Bible says, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the Savior of his house. So, what lessons do we learn through those demands? We learn to rejoice in the Lord all, in difficult times. Learn to rejoice in the Lord always. What about in those demands? Obey the Lord immediately. When he says to do it, we just, we just do it. Thirdly, and this is the one that most of you will love, he tests us through our dollars. You know, there's only one type of person I've found in 50 years of ministry that don't like to hear people, preachers, talk about money, and that's the people that don't give. Oh, no. I told them one day at Highland, I said, now, I'm, I'm going to talk about money today, so I, I want to keep you from being embarrassed. Don't say to somebody, well, every time I come to church, all they talk about is money, because if you say that to one of the Highland people, they're going to know how often you come to church. Because the truth is, our pastor doesn't talk about it very much. But the Bible says a lot about it. The Bible says that uh, God will bless us if we give. In fact, he says, give it, it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, good measure shall, shall God give unto you. When I was at Highland, I was blessed because we had people that were cheerful givers. I was pastor at Highland 20 years and two months. In 20 years, we never missed budget one year, not one. First year I was there, our budget was $750,000. The last year I was there, it was $2.1 million. While I was there, we built a $7 million building, and we paid it debt-free. The day we moved into it, it was debt-free. I didn't preach on money that much, but our people loved the Lord. They loved to give. They knew God would bless them for it. And so uh, it, was, it was just great. You know, when, uh, when David built the tabernacle, he raised a lot of money, millions of dollars in today's economy. But it was, when it was all said and done, this is what David said. He said, of thine own have we given thee. Of thine own have we given thee. David was simply saying, we've simply given back to you, Lord, that which belonged to you in the first place. And that's what it really is to give to the Lord. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, let me see. Okay, I've got, I got to shift pages here. So much quicker to do this than this. Uh, Look them all up. I've got them all typed out. Okay, Malachi 3, train. Bring, all the, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? Storehouse is where you're being fed. Storehouse is where you're, you're being ministered to. So he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that, now what did I say so that means? Statement of purpose, okay? So that what? He said, so that there will be food in my house and test me. Wow. That's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Amazing. About our money. 
Now, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out to you a blessing until it overflows. Uh, you remember when we were kids and we used to say, I dare you. I dare you to do this. I used to come home from school. I remember I came home from school one day and my eyebrows were cut off. You remember those old blunt scissors we used to use in the second grade? Well, I just took them and cut my eyebrows completely off, just right to the skin. My mother kept looking at me. Where are your eyebrows? I said, Mother, he double dog dared me. I mean, it's one thing to be dared, but it's another thing to be double dog dared. I had to do it. We laugh at that, but you know what God's saying to us? I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you to test me and see if I will not open wide the, the uh, heavens and pour out a blessing on you too large to complain. So, so what's the lesson we learn from, from money? That we're, we're to give generously. We're to give generously. And then number four, and, and uh, let me turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. This is, let's see, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you through the wilderness. See, the wilderness time was a testing time for the children of Israel. These 40 days that he might humble you, testing you. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Uh, I don't know a lot about you, but I don't like to wait. Anybody here like to wait? I don't like to wait. Um, my problem is this. Uh, my problems are not always solved instantly. If my problems were always solved instantly, I wouldn't need faith, would I? We have to wait upon the Lord. Um, I've always wondered why in Dallas they call it the rush hour. Nothing, there's nothing rushed. I mean, it's slow if you're in Dallas. You know, the only people that get it right are doctors. They're honest enough to say, this is a waiting room, and you will wait in this room until it gets your time. When I was a kid, I worked at the grocery store. Young people, I work for 50 cents an hour. Okay, 50 cents an hour. Now, the good part of that was my first car cost $135. You can't buy a tire for that today. But, but here's what I learned in working at the grocery store. People will stand around in the aisles and talk forever. I mean, basket to basket. They'll just stand there and talk, 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 talk. But when they get to the checkout stands, they want out. They're always looking for the shortest line in order to get, in order to get out. So, God, listen, this is something we really need to understand. God operates by purpose, not time. And whatever time it takes God to fulfill his purpose in our life is how much time he'll take. But you know the good thing about God's test? We seldom fail them. What did you say? I said, we, sail, we seldom fail him. Why? Because he keeps giving it until you pass it. If you fail it the first time, he's going to give it again. Do you remember in school when we took a test, what did the teacher do? Remain silent. Right? What did the teacher say? Don't anybody talk. 
Don't anybody look at anybody else's work. You know who invented that? God. Because when God gives us a test, he usually remains silent. And that's when our faith kicks in. So, when our faith, but here's what happens along the way. We start asking the question, when? Right? Well, Lord, you said you'd do this. When are you going to do it? It's kind of like a story I heard one time about a guy that was having a hard time. So he prayed to God. He said, God, uh, how, how much is a million dollars to you? He said, son, it's like a, like a penny to you. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, God, how long is a, is a minute to you? Well, son, a minute to me is like a million years to you. Oh, God, that's awesome. Well, Lord, I'm a little short of cash right now. Could you spare a million? Yeah, just wait a second. Wait a minute. God doesn't get in a hurry. He finishes what he starts. When our daughter was killed, and you've heard me tell that story several times, about two years after her death, my wife and I decided that we wanted to have another child. We had love in our hearts. We wanted to, but she couldn't have another child. By that, by that time, too, we were getting kind of close to that cutoff age where they, they don't want you, when you adopt a child, they, don't, they do not want it to be more than 20 years the difference in that your age and their age. So I was 38 years old. My wife's 37. So we went to the adoption agency and we applied. Here's what they said to us. They said, be patient because there's a lot of applicants, a lot of applicants, and it may take a long time. If you get a child, it may take a long time. You want to guess how long it took? Took nine months. How long does a wife, how long does a woman carry a child? Nine months. It's like when we applied, God said, okay, I'm gonna start the process right now. And this woman had this little girl, she was a senior in high school. She knew she couldn't provide for her. So she put her up for adoption and she said, these are the two things I'd like for whoever adopts this, my daughter. I'd like for it to, well, two or three things, actually. I'd like for it to be a Christian family. I would like to, uh, her not to be an only child. I'd like for her to have siblings. And so they called us one day and said it normally takes us about half a day. We sit in the conference room. It takes us about a half a day to decide where to place a baby. The moment that uh, this child came up for adoption, we, we knew she had... Uh, your name on her. And so we adopted her. She's now 40 years old. Some of you are waiting for things right now, aren't you? Some of you are waiting to be healed. Some of you are waiting for your marriage to get better. Some of you are waiting for your financial situation to turn around. Let me assure you of something. God's delays are not his denials. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, and I wrote this down this week. The Lord just said this to me, and I, I said, well, you know, I can't remember, so I'll write it down. Uh, our setbacks, listen to this, our setbacks may be his setups in order to test us. And let me say that again. You might want to write that down, too. I, I wanted to remember it. Your setbacks may be God's setups 
in order to test your faith because he loves you. So my encouragement to you is this. God wants your faith to grow. He loves you enough he's going to test you, so don't give up. Look to him because he has a plan. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know my plans for you, saith the Lord. They're plans for good and not evil that you might have a future and a hope. This morning when I got up and I started praying over the service today, I had a, a feeling inside that God wants to do something today. He wants to do something today. Maybe he wants to do something for you. I hope so. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship the Lord. And after the time of worship, we're going to stand over there and we're going to, Brandon and I are going to stand over there. And if you need prayer this morning for, for anything, what does the Bible say? Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. If you need prayer, come over here. We want to pray for you. If you're sick, what does the Bible say? The Bible says anoint with oil. I'm not ashamed. I, I, I do what the Bible says. What is the oil? It's just symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But if the Lord says do it, then we'll do it. So if you need, if you need prayer, if you're sick, if you're uh, worried about something, stressed out about something, uh, don't leave today without letting somebody pray for you, okay? Let's stand together and worship the Lord together.